here last week, we've, or the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, you know, deserts, right? And uh, recognizing that there are times and there are seasons when the Lord leads his people into a desert. Uh, last week, we really kind of dove into this Exodus. You know, you probably heard of this book of the Bible, Exodus, where Moses, you know, is led by God to call the people, this nation of Israel, out of Egypt. And, uh, and they do so, and they head out into this desert toward the promised land, toward this thing that God had in store, this place that God had in store and prepared for them. But they spent 40 years in this wilderness, this desert. And so recognizing that there are times, there are seasons that the Lord leads us into a wilderness or a desert. And so what is that about? And as we unpack that last week, we, we, we discussed that there are four keys, but we really focused on the first key. And that first key is in a desert, we need to recognize, first need to recognize, God, what are you doing? Because until we recognize why God has led us or why we find ourselves in this desert, we're just miserable. I mean, the desert is not a comfortable place. The desert's where you're thirsty. The desert's where you're hungry. The desert's where your feet hurt. The desert's where you're looking for shade. And all of the stuff, as we discussed, the kind of self of who we are in a desert comes out, especially if you're wandering through a desert with two million other people. You know, so the grumbling and complaining started to pick up really quickly in the desert among these folks and started to kind of cry out to God. You know, what is it that you're doing? We're thirsty here. There's something that we need from you. Right. And the next thing you know, he's sending manna from heaven and he's sending quail and he's bringing water out of a rock. You know, the desert may be this very desolate, lonely place, but the desert can be a place of amazing stories of who God is. And I really believe that God intends for whatever desert we may be going through to be a place where he is still moving and he is still God and he is still doing amazing things that we tell stories about. But by no means should we believe and understand or or think that God intends for us to stay in that desert. Now, he's led us into deserts to do a couple different things. One, to prepare us for what is coming. To do this work within us, prepare us for what is coming. And in order for that to happen again, key number one in the desert is that we recognize what God is doing, discover what God is doing and join him in that work. Because when we discover what he's doing, that, you know, it could be a part of that. He is bringing this self to the surface, all the grumbling and complaining and all the things that we don't like about the season or the situation we're in. And, you know, it just kind of comes to the surface. And then we find ourselves arguing and grumbling back and forth with each other. God may be bringing that to the surface to expose just how selfish we all really are and how much self we have within us, right? There are deeper things that the Lord wants to do. As we looked into Deuteronomy is really where, where we are in this season of recognizing the, the lessons that the Lord wants to teach us. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, we see God doing a couple specific things. He says, I humbled you, I led you into this desert to humble you and to test you. And not just humble and test you, but then to teach you, right? He says, I led them into the desert to humble them and to test them, to see what was in their heart. Now, that just doesn't sound like a real inviting place. But we have to recognize that God is a God of abundance. We also have to recognize God is unchanging. So God is not just a God of abundance on good days. God is not just a God of abundance on Sundays. God is a God of abundance, nonstop all the time. So in recognizing part of what 
who God is and what God is doing in the desert, we need to recognize that God has a plan to turn every desert into a place of abundance. Every every desert into a place where we can find him and see that he is full of life and abundance. And we see this in Jesus, what Jesus has to say to us in John 10, 10. He said, the, the enemy came to steal, kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He intends for us to have this abundant life. Well, I, I, you know, I don't get it. Why would Jesus, who intends for us to have an abundant life, lead us into a place of no abundance? I mean, there's nothing that exists in the desert except an abundance of sand and heat and dry, scorching air. Right. So what in the world does Jesus intend for us to discover about this abundant life in a non-abundant place? And one of these lessons that we learn, one of the things that God wants to teach us is that, yes, by leading us to a place of nothingness. There is nothingness there except him. There's nothing there except him. So all the other stuff is stripped away that we can't find things to delight ourselves in. We can't find things that nourish us. We can't find things, you know, to feast upon. But Jesus says, now it's just you and me. And. Ask the question, am I enough? You've gotten so used to all the fish and the herbs and the oils and all the food and all the wonderful things that you had in Egypt. Yes, you were slaves, but I'm going to take all of that away where it's just you and me and what I provide for you. Now, he provided life sustaining nourishment in the form of quail and manna. And water, but. I hope you're like me that for 40 years, I'd be pretty dissatisfied with some wafers and some water. But yet in the midst of that, we see that Jesus has this plan just as he speaks when he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Just been baptized by John. He's led into the wilderness for 40 days and the enemy comes to. Satan comes to tempt him and says, you know, well, if you're the son of God, you can turn this stone into bread. And Jesus reply back was. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. That do not put your God to the test that Jesus wants to teach us and kind of strip away from us all the things that we may have been feeding on or been comfortable with in a dry and desert season in order to say, am I enough? And if I'm not enough, you will stay dissatisfied until you learn this place that I am the bread of life. And in me is fulfillment and in me is life. And that's one of the incredible things that God has in store for us. It doesn't sound very appealing, but when we discover it, we find out that this is an amazing place when we begin to feast on Christ alone. One of the things we look, we talked, we discussed last week was, you know, in the desert, we go from allowing God to shape and mold us from this place of grumbling and complaining and worrying about where's my next meal coming, worrying about what the what these enemies are that are, you know, between us and this land that you're leading and leading us to and worrying about, you know, is are we going to is God really going to be with us through this whole thing or are we going to have or, you know, are we going to turn and worship other idols? Right. And in that place of worrying, God wants to teach us how to turn worry into worship. How to turn worry into worship. You know, the worrying is a sin. Worrying is a sin. Worrying is is not believing that God is going to be faithful. And that's why, from my perspective, 
This is the desert of faithfulness. That God wants to show himself to be faithful, to meet all of our needs and to provide for us, to humble us and to test us in order to teach us his ways of life, these ways of abundance. And that's a big part of what God has in store for us in a desert. So deserts aren't places, deserts that God is is calling us into. They're not places to avoid. They're places to desire. They're places to want to join God in. It may not necessarily feel like a fun thing that God's doing. Oh, but the life that comes from learning the lessons of the desert, we don't want to miss. And that's part of what we're going to dive into the rest of this morning. We're going to look at key number two. Key number one was to discover what God is doing in the desert and join him in that work. Key number two is that deserts exist to grow the roots within us toward God. To grow these roots in us toward God that we will find dissatisfaction in the desert. That's the whole point. But God's plan is not to lead us to happiness of what we want in a moment. God's plan is to lead us into a life of abundance. God's plan is to lead us into a life of intimacy. And with that intimacy comes blessing. Recognizing that God is a God who is desiring to have us taste of the greatness of who he is. As we look at at Galatians chapter five, verse twenty two and twenty three. Many of you are familiar with this passage, the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I miss one? Gentleness. Thank you. I knew somebody was counting or watching. Self-control. Now, tell me, which do you think has deeper roots? Joy found in a season of in a joyous season. Or a lesson to learn how to find joy in the midst of a dry, difficult season. You see, the desert is a blessing. The desert is a place to teach us these lessons of a deep abiding in who Christ is. That no matter what circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, because the roots of who we are have grown so deep in this season, we are abiding in who he is. And then love and joy and peace and patience. I mean, think about this ability to find patience in the midst of your least patient circumstance. The thing that you would just lose your top over. And yet the Lord does such a great work within your heart through the dry season of a a desert that you're completely different than who you've been before. Deserts are wonderful places. You know, one of the realities of um, of deserts is, you know, there's nothing there. And and the, the, the reality of what that means to us as we're desiring for God to transform us and to grow us to be more like himself, to grow us into this abundance life, is that this reality that I see that that hurriedness is the greatest inhibitor to spiritual growth in our culture. Hurriedness is the greatest inhibitor to spiritual growth in our culture. You can't grow deep and live a hurried life. You can't grow deep 
and know God and and be still and know God and grow into an intimacy of who he is and have a frantic schedule. Because what will happen in that and with all of us is that the schedule will become the thing steering our life and it will gradually work to push out intimacy. It will. I mean, how many of you in, in, here, in here are married? Okay. One of these great issues, right, that I deal with as a husband. Uh, you know, when you look at the five love language languages, right? You know, you've got spending time with people. You've got doing things. You've got physical, you know, affection, um, verbal affirmation and gifts, right? Those are these five love languages, you know. Um, I'll tell you, I, I don't have to tell you what my... Most what, what my love language is, but I'll tell you what my wife's is, and it's verbal affirmation. So you want to guess what mine's not? Okay. So um, so okay, I want to learn to be a better husband, which means I get to learn some new things. And so I actually did a little bit of homework, you know, and it's like okay, I need to learn how to be more verbally affirming and more verbally intimate, right? And uh, so I started kind of. Praying into it and looking into how do you. So this is for all you men out there, right? That that's not your love language. This is a side note, right? And one of the things that I've discovered is that, you know, learning to be more verbally intimate is that, you know, we're great guys. I'm speaking to the men here. We're great at coming in and being asked, how's your day going? And you say, it's good, right? Well, how'd your meeting go? Oh, it was okay. You know, uh, you know, we don't give many details. Let me, if you hadn't noticed that. We just kind of hit the highlights. Well, the reality is, if you're going to have if you're going to be verbal in conversation, then you're not just sharing facts of what happened. Right. You're sharing emotion of how things that happened made you feel. Wow. OK, so I had this meeting today and I was talking to Lori McMath and she said something that made me feel terrible. Right. She said this, this, and this, and I felt terrible about it. And I needed to talk about it, and then we led into this whole next thing, right? But if I had that conversation with my wife, she'd be like, oh, tell me more, right? Because that's her love language, verbal affirmation. Did you know that God probably, you know, uses all the love languages? But it's this amazing thing that happens when God allows us and invites us into intimacy By inviting us into things that don't make him feel good or inviting us into things that burden him or inviting us into being aware of things that he is wanting to do. There's this intimacy that the Lord desires for each and every one of us to grow in a loving relationship with him. That the next thing you know, we're finding a burden. Something's burdening us for our neighbor. Something's burdening us for this situation. And that we know that God's not pleased with or whatever the case is. But it feels like this burden that wants to move toward compassion, to act with God toward change in somebody else's life. And that is God being intimate with you and me. He's not giving us a burden so that it feels bad or so that it feels heavy. He's giving us a burden because he's sharing with us how he feels about something. Friends, burdens from God are an invitation to intimacy and you don't want to miss them. Because in experiencing that intimacy with who he is, Life is going to come. Joy is going to take place as we allow that, as we join him in that intimacy. 
He is going to there then bear fruit. Do you think that me learning to be more verbally affirming with my wife is going to bear fruit in our relationship? Absolutely is. Should I have to work to learn to be verbally affirming and share my feelings? Is it easy for me? No. Do I need to do it? Absolutely. Because that's me making an effort to love and have verbal intimacy with her, right? The Lord desires for us to know the the desires of his heart and to pour those things out. How do we do this in a hurry? How do you have verbal intimacy with your spouse if you're always in a hurry? One of my heroes, you know, in in the faith is this guy named Dallas Willard. Just I love I've just recently kind of loved diving into YouTube and listening to some of the teachings of Dallas Willard. He's probably in his late, you know, 70s. Great hero of the faith, just loves God's word and just unpacks amazing truths out of this piece. And he was sitting on a panel of friends. Uh, You know, one young guy asked him a question, Dallas, you know, I've got a two year old son. And, you know, what can my wife and I do to prepare to disciple our child, to grow this child up to be a disciple? Right. And Dallas could have given a laundry list of A through, you know, X things that that dad could do, lessons that that dad could teach their son. But instead, you know what he said? His advice was his his advice was, you know what you need to do? You need to go away with your wife for a weekend and you need to sit down and you need to pray into your calendar. And you need to recognize that your calendar is probably pretty full. And if it's not full yet, our culture will help you decide and fill up that calendar in a hurry. And that is going to be the greatest hindrance to you being able to disciple your child. You'll be so hurried. You're modeling for them a life that God does not intend. That the very thing that God wants most for who we are is to be able to be still and have intimacy and to know him. And with that, we begin to learn one of the lessons of an abundant life. We begin to recognize that God has things that he's working on us in these dry seasons to teach us because he loves us and he's abundant. So he wants to lead us into how to live in an abundant way. And that means recognizing other things that are distractions and recognizing things that maybe we need to learn some discipline with in order to find some fuel from. The things of this life, the things that we fill our schedule with are not things that will satisfy us. They will only leave us longing and leading to more busyness. But when we learn that the desert is intendedly a quiet, still place. There are amazing things that God wants to speak and share with us of who he is. Psalm chapter one, verse one through three. Blessed is the man who delights. This is a bit of a summary for the first verse. Blessed is the man who delights in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The Lord desires to teach us the lessons of discovering fruits. By growing these roots in the desert. That we can bear fruit in season and out of season. Because we've found the sustaining life in who he is. 
Look at John 15 and dive more into this. This is a, if you're not familiar with John 15, it's not coming up before you, but look at John 15. That's where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. No one, you know, can bear fruit except through me. If you abide in me, then you'll bear much fruit. God, Jesus desires for us to bear much fruit and to enjoy this fruit that's coming forth through us. But the secret is abiding. Key number three to the desert. The desert is where our will learns to bow before the king. Now, we all have a will. You know, when Jesus was asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? He rightfully quoted Deuteronomy chapter six. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. All the other commandments hang on this. To love Lord with everything that you have, right? And in the English language, we look at that and we can compartmentalize that into a number of different ways. But just recently, I've kind of recognized that in our language, at least culturally today, there's, there's, a, there's a word here that I want to introduce. That is the very thing, is the core essence of what the great commandment is about. And that word that summarizes this is our will. Our will. When we, we all have a will, God has given each one of us a will. And in, with our will, we choose and make decisions based on what we think and what we desire, right? And we have the ability to choose to worship God or to choose to not worship God. We have all kinds of choices that we make, and we've been given authority to have that will, Right? In recognizing that God's given us this will, he has given us this will so that we can offer it to him as a sacrifice. Because we can offer it to him as a sacrifice. See, the Lord is desiring that we join him in this garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane was where Jesus went the night that he was betrayed. It was the night before he was crucified. And if you remember the story, then Jesus calls Peter, James and John aside and they go off away from the rest of the group. And Jesus then leaves those three and he asks them to stay here and pray while he goes off to himself and prays. And this is when Jesus is so burdened by this, the the sin of the world and the sacrifice that is to come, that he's sweating drops of blood, anguish. And the Lord's inviting our will to that same place. Doesn't sound like a fun invitation. But what's taking place in this Garden of Gethsemane is that Jesus is praying this prayer before the Father. Take this cup from me if it be your will. My will, won't you please take this cup? But here comes the victory. But not my will, yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And from that place, Jesus has passed this test. Will does not make the choice except to surrender. That's what will has been given to you and I for. Not to make right choices or wrong choices, but to have a will to offer back to God as an act of worship. And then to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And when that happens, friends, the floodgates of life can open up into who we are because there's nothing else of who we are holding that back because the will of God, then the spirit of God 
is released to have his way in our physical bodies, to lead us and guide us, to bear fruit in us. I got a phone call a couple weeks ago, and um, I had someone that was uh, really wrestling through something with, uh, with a friend. And they were praying for this friend and really kind of fighting for this friend in, in prayer, contending with them and, uh, and crying out in the name of Jesus. And, 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 you know, they're basically sharing with me what had been taking place. And their description was, you know, I'm really contending, I'm crying out, and there's some relief here. But, you know, where's the power, you know, Scott's paraphrase, where's the power in this name? I, I'm not seeing what I'm expecting that would come with the name of Jesus, right? And just through talking with a person, I just, it just became kind of clear. I said, well, are you, where's, your, where's your will in this? Do you desire for Jesus to be Lord over everything in your life? Do you really desire to bring your will to the table and to lay it before him and let him rule over all of who you are? And it was, it was quietly apparent in a very strong way that there's this big dam between where the person was willing to surrender their lives to God, but yet this desire to see the power of God in the moment. And yes, there is power in the name of Jesus, but there is power for transformation over any circumstance or occurrence that any of us face in life in the name of Jesus and a surrendered will. So as the person's challenged to give their will before God and choose him and allow him to be Lord, man, now stuff got brought to the table. Now it was exposed that there was this clear unwillingness to do that. But the invitation to recognize if, if you will allow yourself to surrender your life to him. Yes, as Jesus said, all authority and power and heaven and earth is given to me. And that then can come before us. Do you have anything in your life that maybe maybe that you are unwilling or have been less than willing to invite God to have ownership of in your life? Maybe it's your calendar. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your view of how other people see you. I don't know what yours is. But I do know that Jesus leads us into deserts to have us discover what these very things may be. Because he knows that they steal, kill, and destroy the very life that he came to bring. And because he loves us, he wants more for us than what this world has to offer. The desert is where our will learns to bow before the king. You know, for years I knew that the Lord is asking and calling us to surrender. And I remember, you know, wrestling, you know, kind of with the Lord. I know you're asking me to surrender, but I don't know how to surrender. Do you want me to tear up a white t-shirt and stick it on a stick and wave it around and say, okay, I surrender. 
I pray these prayers. I surrender, Lord. I surrender. I surrender. But at some point, they just start to feel like less than full prayers. Like there's got to be more to this than me saying I surrender. So show me. How do you surrender? And finally, after a significant season, a couple of years go by, just like out of the blue, one morning at a time of prayer, just felt like the Lord just, I wasn't even asking the question at the moment, just said, let me tell you how to surrender. Surrender. You bring your will to the table. Whatever will you have, you bring that to the table. Then maybe some days it feels like an inch. I only got this much will today. But he says, yeah, bring me that. Bring that to me. Some days when you're full of life, maybe you feel like you've got a truckload. He said, that's what I want. But the thing is, whatever will you've got, you bring it before the Lord. And if you just have to, if you're laying on your belly and you can't even, you can't even walk, get up and walk in that direction, then start to crawl. If you're on your knees and you can't run, then just fall in his direction. But bring whatever willingness you have to the table because you're the only one who has control of your willingness. You're the only one that can make the choice to say, willing, I am headed toward Jesus. He will not invade. He has drawn a line to his realm of action and he will stand at the door and knock and say, open. But he will not break in the door. He will wait for you to open it. He will wait for your willingness to say, come on. And every day that you wake up, abundant life is waiting you no matter what situation or circumstance you're in. If you will bring your willingness to the table and there will be other tests and there will be other lessons, but you can recognize this is for an opportunity. So let me join the work of the Lord to humble me. This is the work you say you're doing. You're humbling me. So I want ooh, show me how to be humble. But in that effort to be shown how to be humble, we can find joy in that. We can find life in that. We can find abundance and even a lesson of being learned how to be humble. That's what the Lord has in store for us. But hurriedness is too often in the way. And our will holds everything back. Show me a man who is fully willing to, to live their life abandoned to the Lord. And I'll show you a man who will change the world. That's the essence of John Wesley's prayer. He said, give me a hundred men who love God and hate sin and I'll change the world. Show me a man who's fully willing to be abandoned before the Lord. And I'll show you a man who God will use to change the world. It's not the man. It's the power given to Jesus Christ to be able to flow through that man to bring glory to God. God has the same plans for you and for me. If only we will up our willingness. The next thing I want us to see is that this reality that comes in bringing our willingness to the table, whatever that is, that's how we love God. This is our effort to love him. And where we are unwilling to bring that willingness, we're not willing to love him. When we when he leads us. To giving over this will and fully giving our will to him each day. Through that love, he'll teach us how to obey him. The things that he asks us to obey are life-giving things. The main thing is to love the Lord your God. To love your neighbors yourself. He'll teach us to find life in those things. Because that's who he is. And that's what he brings to this relationship. Intimacy. Intimacy. Joy, 
These fruits of the Spirit. These transformation of lives before your very eyes because God, the power of God is flowing through you as a vessel is all, who, all that you are. And rivers of living water will flow out of you into other people. We need more of the reality of this promised land that is coming. And that's where we start to step into key number four in the desert. Deserts are a place where calling and vision are birthed. They are the place where hope becomes secured. Before we dive too far into, into this piece, let's kind of stop and recognize that there are clearly these conditional pieces to what the Lord is inviting us to. This part of our will, right? And it's so often found in Scripture as two little words, two little letters. They're little letters. They're skinny letters. They're small letters. It's easy to skim and to miss them. These two little letters are if. We're going to look at one scripture that most of you are probably familiar with just to kind of learn this principle. Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse 14 and 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. There's amazing things that the Lord says he will do. If. We'll do our part. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their ways, then. Oh, every time you see a then you got some good stuff coming. The Lord has an intention and a plan for us to have an abundant life, and that's living in the land of then. This land of then and the stuff that comes after then is always a good thing. You go back and you read through the, the, the chapter we looked at last week, you know, Deuteronomy chapter eight, Deuteronomy chapter nine. All of these things are happening so that it can be well with you, so that it can go well with you, so that the Lord can bless you. But the Lord loves us too much to allow blessings that could come from him to be just blessings that we find ourselves and look for satisfaction in. Otherwise, they would then become a curse. This is Deuteronomy 9. And he loves us too much to allow the very things he intends for blessings to become a curse. So he leads us across the desert before we get to him. That our satisfaction is found in him and in nothing less. And nothing more can then distract. Because we've learned to feast on God alone, not on the bread of the world. Let's look at another passage back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to look at a few different verses chopping up this piece. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that ooh, two big words. Time you see a so that I underline it really boldly in my in my Bible so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Then the Lord, your God, will make the most pro- make will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If there's that word, if you obey the Lord, your God, and keep his commands, commandments and decrees that are written on the book of, of the law and turn from turn to the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord, your God, and walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase 
and the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you are entering into. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. This day, skipping down at verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that the that you may love the Lord, your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now choose life. Because when we choose life. All the blessings and all the things that come after so that all the all the blessings that come from then are the things that the Lord has in store for us. But he's given you and I a responsibility. You see, this if word is a conditional word that is responsibility for you and I. And if we're not going to 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 do our part and step up to the if and bring our will to the table, then we're being robbed from and we're choosing to have the very things that the Lord wants to give us. And we're handing them away to a thief that will steal, kill, and destroy the things of our life. It all comes from giving away this thing that we hold so so close to our hearts. This will that needs to have some level of control. That has to hold on to control of the choices of our life. But here before us we see, but if we choose... To give over. That's where Jesus says, this should start to make sense now, where Jesus says, but if a man gives of his life, gives up his life, he will gain this life, right? But if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. This is where this comes, comes out of, that Jesus wants us to have life and have it to the full. But if we hold on to our own will and our own control and be the Lord of any one of our own situations, we steal from ourselves And we have a curse upon us. But when we freely give ourselves to the Lord, then we find ourselves in a desert and we can find an amazing fruit that comes from the desert. Because now the Lord is going to show us and give us a call and give us this understanding, just as he did to the people of Israel when he described to them what this land, what this promised land looked like. It was this land flowing with milk and honey. There are olives and grapes and there's there's copper just there in the hills. Just dig in and you'll find it. It is this land of abundance, is this land of prosperity, is this land that that God desires for us to to take if as we trust him. And as we call upon him and we allow him to be Lord of everything. Right. And so we can stand in the place and we can recognize, you know, and, and put into place this reality of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen that we in the desert. The Lord, as our will is surrendered, faith can rise up within us and we can stand in the desert and have sun scorched lips yet taste the honey of what is yet to come. Because the Lord has said, I have plans for abundance for you and I am not changing. So you can stand in the desert and suddenly in faith, you can see the promised land and you can see the grapes growing on the vine and you can see the water flowing down from the mountain. You can see the milk and the 
the blessings that God has in store for you. In faith, you can stand with someone and recognize the transformation that God wants to do in their life. And to, in faith, see that we're in a desert right now, but I see what God is doing before you. Now, I have people come to my office on a regular basis and tell me about the difficulty that they're going through. And I've gotten a lot of bewildered looks when I look at them in the eye because I've suddenly gotten a picture of what God's doing. And I tell them, oh, I'm excited. They look at me like. I just told you my worst story in my life and you're telling me you're excited. This is not a, I'm not in a good place and you're telling me excited. And I'm I tell them I'm excited because you're in a great place. If God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. What a great place to be. I was challenged with that with that phrase. If God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. Fifteen years ago. I've been a pastor for almost the last 15 years. And I can tell you, I cannot tell you one story of where someone was in a place where if God didn't show up, they were in trouble. And if they looked to God, they had nothing but a beautiful story to tell. In a great place. And they may come into my office in this down, dry, parched moment. But to be able to look, to stand with them and look and tell them, look, I'm telling you, God's doing some amazing stuff in you right now. And God is going to use you in an amazing way in the future. And he is doing, he has hopes. Let me just start because you can't see it. Let me just start describing it for you what God's going to do in this. Let me just tell you how God's going to use this very thing that you're walking through. And he's because God is a God of redemption. He's going to redeem this thing in your life if you allow him. And then he's going to use you in this area that you were your most broken and and was the most difficult thing. And he's going to turn that into a ministry for other people. And you're going to begin sharing your testimony of how faithful God was to you. And it's going to change lives before your very eyes because You turn to be willing to God and he changed your life and you share your testimony and it suddenly can speak life into people that do not have hope of what can happen of this hope for this future of this place that God wants to take them. This promised land of how our God is amazing and we don't have enough. You wouldn't believe stories happening in our community. See, God is leading us as a congregation to this place where we are completely dependent on him. And we recognize him and we cry out, God, unless you move, we're done. If you don't show up, we're in trouble. So that when we move to this place that we've cried out and we've given him worship for everything, we have these you wouldn't believe what happened stories all across the congregation. Because people, we walked through the desert together and through that desert, the Lord led us into this promised land where he is moving and he is active. And we're not finding joy and satisfaction in the stories themselves. We're allowing the stories do what the stories are intended to do. And that's lead us to worship God for who he is. Not be satisfied with the stories. God never desires for us to have fuel from the stories. He does desire to have the stories fuel the glory that he receives. And so I'm excited that the Lord is leading us, a community, through this beautiful, faithful season to know him and him alone. Because what's coming 
is intimacy. What's coming is him sharing with you the desires on his heart. As we are willing and as we surrender, the dreams of God become the dreams of our heart. And then all authority and power in heaven and earth are behind those dreams to be fulfilled and to be his agents for change. You don't want to miss out on what comes then. So live up to the if. Grab whatever willingness you can grab and bring it to the table. Bring it to the table because Jesus wants you to know and wants me to know this abundance of life that we cannot even imagine. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. That though deserts may be dry seasons, as we surrender our will to you, And just cry out to you as Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Lord, that this is this is not a one time thing. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to live this way every day. With every choice, Mm, not my will. Have your way. From that place, Lord, thank you that. You place honey. On our sun-scorched lips. And in faith, we can feel the cream running down our throat that was parched and dry. We can taste the goodness of who you are. Because our hope is not found in the things of this world. It's not found in the next hurried event. It's not found in the next pleasure that we may want to purchase. It's found in this place of abiding in you. So come, Jesus, change lives before our very eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you don't make this about us for our happiness. Thank you, Lord, that you lead us to be fruit bearers. Thank you, Lord, that you you intimately share your burdens. That from a surrendered life can only be described as blessing. That can only be described as not burdens of the way the English language would describe it, but this place of amazement to watch you move and to do things we could never imagine. So, Jesus, do what only you can do. Prepare our hearts through this season to be a body and a community that willfully gives it all and set us ablaze, Lord. Let us contend with you in prayer. Let us hunger for you. Let us thirst for you. Let us cry to you, Lord. And find your joy of life. Lord, glorify yourself through me. Through my friends. And let us know and taste your goodness. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.